astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome, Sabrina here. I'd like to invite you to tune in to where the magic has been at in your life, where you're feeling it right now, and if it feels like you're flooded in it or you're wanting to stoke it. One of the early original intentions of this podcast was really to like spread magic and to have conversations about magic and to just really like proliferate and pollinate that into the field, into the world. And this topic on this episode today is like really connected to that. We're talking about the cadent astrological houses, the third, sixth, ninth, and twelfth, which are all really connected to magic, among other things. So let me back up a little bit. Eliza, who I'm chatting with and riffing with in this episode, she and I have an upcoming workshop called Where Cosmos Touches Earth, the Astrological Houses. And this is going to be the first of a series where we explore each individual house imaginally and mythopoetically. We're starting out with an overview workshop where we'll orient you to what the houses are, the basic astronomy, um, what creates the angles of the ascendant and the midheaven and the icy and the descendant. And we'll go deeper into the felt experiential qualities of the three different types of houses, which are angular, succedent, and cadent. Maybe you've heard of those categories before, maybe you haven't. The workshop is going to be best for people that have already like have a basic understanding of the individual 12 houses, even if that's just their keywords. Um, but we're going to go deeper into understanding what they are, like in the astronomy conceptual, like how does it work as a whole system, and then go deeper into these particular types. And so in this episode, we discuss the cadent houses in particular, which are the third, sixth, ninth, and twelfth, you know, and cadent energy as a frequency. And these are houses all in their own way and not without their challenges because there are themes of suffering or isolation or illness and whatnot that can be associated with the 6th and the 12th. Um, But these houses, not without their challenges, are connected to flow states, magic, learning, and spirit, right? Even the sense of learning how to discern between you know, helpful fantasy, well, no, I don't want to use that language, like how to basically, you know, when you have thoughts that are hovering around that are causing you subtle suffering, like it's like a dye in water that is tainting your emotional body, like to become aware of that and to start to clear that and practice magic in the way that you think and perceive, like that is a type of magical act that happens within the challenges like of these houses right it's like learning how to practice magic intentionally and if we think about words being spells and like the unintentional magic and whatnot but let's not get neurotic about it either because it's not like if you have you know a bad day or one event or like have negative things to say that you're like cursing yourself for me it's more when these things are patterns and like programs that we're not fully aware of and that are unconscious 
Um, it's bringing them into our awareness and learning how to rewrite them and rework them. That's really powerful. But I would never be a proponent of like, you should only think positive because that just creates repression. That's a rant for another time. But anyway, Aliza and I decided to riff on this podcast um, about the cadent energy because we were particularly excited about the cadent frequency and our discussions behind the scenes about this collaboration that we're bringing out for you. And I just want to take a moment here to share a little personal update. I'm feeling chatty. I'm feeling like my Mercury, my, um, my own cadent energy has been stimulated and freed in some ways recently. So if you followed me for a while, um, you may know that I wrote weekly forecasts for nearly eight years straight. And then during my Saturn return, I took this really big sabbatical. Um, I'd had some really good business years and I had these spiritual visions from you know, my own consciousness, but then also like divinatory experiences with oracle cards and tarot and like embodiment ceremonies and like this whole swirl of magical things like told me to go travel for a long time. So I did. Um, I was still teaching. I had my year-long advanced salon called Meteorite going and my evolutionary astrology intensives. So I traveled and I had the most amazing, ecstatic, like beyond experiences. And inside of just being in this tumbler of travel and being around friends from all over the world and just like living my dream, I decided not to write the weekly forecast anymore um, because I couldn't, um, my, my life had become so unrooted in the most um, magical way. Like it was actually really good for me to take that break um, and give myself all of this space to just be and to just experience. And that break was good for me. But lately, I felt the call to start like actually deepening into my work in more ways, um, like coming back to the, you know, I don't really, uh, after all the kind of embodiment work, and embodiment studies and practice and whatnot, there's no going back. Like I can't repress myself into like a nose to the grindstone, put my head down and work kind of vibe. I can be very focused, I can be very diligent, um, but I've had to learn new ways to, to work, like as I've come more into my body and whatnot. So anyway, I have been feeling this call to, to deepen in my work. And then I also felt this call to start a formal writing practice again. And so I wrote a forecast last week. And this was really revelatory because I'd had this um, feeling for some time that I was having a hard time finding my words. Like I was so used to being eloquent and well-spoken and I just thought that was who I was. And I was having all these moments the last some months of like, where are my words? Like, what's happening to me? And I was blaming it on a Neptune transit because Neptune in Pisces is currently getting close to my Mercury in Pisces. But I realized actually, like, nah, it was, it was the loss of the writing practice. So I'm going to make some connections to Cadent Energy with that. Um, my third house, so Cadent House, ruler is venus and venus is in my first house 
conjunct Mercury, both are at 29 degrees of Pisces. So there's that sense of my, you know, oh, I identify like I am this speaker. I have beautiful or magical things to say. Like I like to talk about magic. I like to enchant with my words, like all of that. And then my moon is in Taurus in the third. And both of these signatures suggest my identity or sense of self is connected with cadent energy, um, a cadent house ruler. Venus ruling my third is in my first sense of self. Um, and the moon is in a cadent house. So all of that, like if you're newer, you may not follow that in terms of newer to astrology um, or like going deeper with houses and house rulers. But take my word for it. <laughs> um, anyway, within that, I am realizing that our practices, right? Like there's something about you know, a daily practice or writing for a couple hours a week or writing for like an hour a day or something like that. It is, um, it's a ritual, it's a routine. And that when those routines accumulate, that can possibly create um, a sense of self. Like it creates a, a way that you are able to be because you've cultivated it. And there's something in that. Like, I think if you have a practice, like you have an embodiment or dance practice or you meditate, you might know exactly what I'm talking about, where you might get rusty when you stop practicing. And so when I think about cadent energy and how from a Hellenistic or ancient perspective, the cadent houses, and we're going to speak more about this in this episode, um, they have a sense of like loose footing, like they're not the places where you feel like things are the most practical, like it can feel like things are slipping away or things are dissolving or things get diffuse. And yet there's a power inside of the cadent energy and we're really deepening into that in this episode. I think of cadent energy like our daily prayers and the way that our daily prayers add up. And what I mean by daily, daily prayer is not just like literal prayers, but all of our little actions and thoughts adding up and accumulating. Um, my first mystical experience was with butterflies, like these little beautiful pollinator creatures, um, where I was, you know, eight years old, eight to nine, I was catching them every day. I had, you know, my grandpa taught me how to sneak up on them slowly and catch them between my thumb and forefinger. And as an eight-year-old into my ninth year and whatnot, I caught, you know, hundreds and hundreds, perhaps thousands, I don't know, I didn't count, but I was just outside every day hanging out with butterflies because they, there were a bunch of them outside of my house. And I was just super in love with them and obsessed. Um, and monarchs were my favorite species of butterfly um, inside of that obsession. And one day when I was outside catching butterflies, like I just normally did, um, the whole monarch migration had come to my town like an hour away by car from their normal nearest migration site. And then like they were low to the ground and they had actually navigated through the maze of the suburbs that I was in to come to my street and to fly like in this whole glorious migration in front of me. 
when I was just outside doing my usual thing of like catching butterflies. So very, you know, formative, important, magical experience, but it has these different teachings in it inside of it for me. But one of them was just that, you know, I didn't catch butterflies every day because I knew that one day a whole migration would come to my front door. There was no, I was just following my highest excitement and whatever, you know? But I think that that energy of doing something repetitively and being in a flow state actually creates a tidal wave of cause and effect, right? Like something, something for me at least in my like energy body and like that pattern of like the tidal wave manifestation where it's like work and work and prepare and then something big happens, like that's something that kind of is a pattern for me. But I also, you know, I think it might be a cadent thing where it's like your routines add up, right? Like your practice hours, the montage scenes of your life add up to that big flashy result, you know, if that's what it is, where it's just a calm, coherent sense of ability or talent or something that happens. Um, or I always had this um this thing that I heard on the radio always stuck with me where it was a musician, I don't remember her name, but she was being interviewed about, um, well, she was being interviewed. I don't remember what about, sorry. I'm not like not doing too good at storytelling here, but she said that every dog has their day, so you may as well work on your karma in the meantime. And so what she was essentially saying was that like one day you're gonna hit your break your big break, but you just have to like let everything that you're doing, your karmas add up in the meantime. Um, so that's what I think the power of the cadent energy is where it's like, I mean, maybe you can have, you know, a big exciting cadent day um, is when you've just been in flow all day and just like from, you know, the day felt shamanic. You had all these, you know, magical synchronicities and you know, moved and danced and moved energy and talked to people and felt alive. It just like was, you were in the flow. Um, and you look back at the end of the day and you're like, that was a whole year. Like I really just lived a whole year in this day. Like that is a very cadent energy too. But just, it's like this, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'll just leave it at that. There is a magic to the cadent energy in the sense that these little things these rituals and these routines can add up right of course the inverse is true that negative input can add up um, which is why health and wellness is part of these part of the story here too so if you're interested in this workshop where we're going to um, introduce the houses as like a whole system it's going to be um inspired by Hellenistic and evolutionary astrology. And we are going to really specifically dive into the angles and the poetics and the felt sense of the angular, succeedant, and cadent houses, making up all of the 12 houses. You can find the link to join. It's going to be February 9th, and you will get a um, recording if you register. Um, that link will be in the notes. And then I'm going to read you um, Aliza's bio as well, and then we will get into this conversation.
As a child of Mercury, Eliza finds great joy in sharing information. Her written work and conversations make metaphorical hyperlinks, connecting fields outside of and yet related to cosmic exploration. These include film, music, and television media, visual and installation art, architecture, philosophy, and theory. She is an astrologer with nearly half a century of lived experience and pastiched gnosis. Her educational background includes Hellenistic, evolutionary, archetypal, and holotropic astrology. Currently, she offers limited individual chart consultations and teaches classes inside of Monarch Astrology's Diviner course container. Since January 2020, she has been Sabrina Monarch's teaching assistant through several cohorts of the EA Intensive. With a lunar sun and angular Neptune, Eliza moves through the world in gestures rather than solid lines. Though she is steeped in astrological study, she believes her main qualifications are also less tangible. The deepest insights and connections in her own life have come to her in liminal spaces, in moments of collapse or grace, surprise encounters, losses, dreams, and creative trance states. These are experiences she honors in others as much as objective accomplishments. Chaos and order are equally beautiful, as are success and failure. She holds no agenda for clients. Her only aim as an astrologer is to pay attention to the motions of the cosmos and the person in front of her. The goal is communion, and the road there is paved with unconditional positive regard. You can find her at weavingthefirmament.com, which will also be linked in the bio. Not in the bio. I'm so, like, Instagrammed. Um, Linked in the notes, and that will be along with the link to her mailing list. Is that bio not amazing? I mean, Aliza's writing, like, Aliza is legit one of my favorite writers like the like the writer the kind of writer that I'm like so grateful is my contemporary the kind of writer that like when I was a kid and dreaming of like the day where I was gonna have my like writerly friends and like the people that I was gonna be you know I like wanted to be famous since I was a kid so like what other writers am I gonna get you know be hanging out with and whatnot like Aliza is fucking amazing her writing inspires me so much. Um, so yeah, I'm going to stop gushing and let you listen to the episode where you will continue to hear Aliza's very eloquent and beautiful ideas. Hey Aliza, I've been excited to talk about the cadent houses with you, just that we're both so cadent in our own ways. And maybe to get started here, how are you arriving? How has your day been? What's been maybe cadent about it so far? Yeah, what's been cadent about my day that really comes through immediately is that there were things to attend to with my dog. So very sixthly, um, that were sort of interruptions to my morning um, and my routine. So yeah, just sort of like dealing with little setbacks, adjusting to them, um, that sort of percolated energy of like being alive to the shifts in the daily routine. Mm -hmm. Is she doing okay? She's doing good. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I can see her behind you and she looks (laughs) (laughs) She's fine. How about you? Um, So it's snowing here 
I mean, it's not actively snowing, but we just had a snowstorm and then it rained and then it froze. So there's these sheets of ice just like outside on the sidewalk. Um, I woke up and, you know, I didn't prepare that well actually for um, having food in my apartment. Like I kind of ran out and this morning I did scrounge together like a breakfast, but I ran out of oat milk and I was like, I need to go out in the neighborhood, third house, like, you know, mm-hmm. made a mistake, sixth house. I don't have what I need, you know? So I drove, driving was fine because the roads are okay, but the sidewalks and just like walking from place to place was just like walking on ice. So That's it was right. a really novel kind of experience, but it was a little bit stressful. And I thought I was going to be ambitious and like, go walk to the cat, you know, the pet store and buy some cat food and a few steps on the ice. I was like, I'm just not, I, I can't deal with this. (laughs) Um, then I came home and I started having these fantasies about like going to the Bahamas instead. I was like, I'm over this. You know, I saw someone on social media. She made a post about how every time that she plans like another thing in her work life, she also plans something for fun to like refuel herself. And I was mm-hmm. like, I fucking need to go <laughs> to the Bahamas. And I was like excited about it, but also like a little bit like there's like this 12th housey fantasy element to it. And mm-hmm. then just like this angst of like, I don't know, like, yeah. So something's cooking. Like I know I need to, to plan something like fun, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's actually going to be like the Bahamas or whatever, but then I did a meditation and it was really grounded, like really slow and subtle. And there was just this dissonance between like, I wanted something big. I wanted to like travel, which is like obviously a ninth house theme. Yeah. And yeah, then now I arrived here for podcasting, which is another like third housey yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. So somehow it was like a whole adventure. Yeah, yeah, my way. All the kid houses engaged. Yeah. 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 Meditation, third, sixth kind of signature and like in the local neighborhood part and yeah, mistakes. And then there, then there's the ninth, the twelfth, the fantasy of travel. Yeah. Right. You got it engaged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this has been like, so far, just diving into this project with you has been so um, opening in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So we're working on going through the houses um, and imaginally opening each one as a place, um, just deepening it. Because in the evolutionary astrology intensive, we cover the houses and this is like going into an added depth. Um, So yeah, I've been really enjoying working with you on this. And I'm curious, like what has opened up for you around the houses since we've been like researching this? I think it's more just like a deepening of what already has been opened and particularly through working with you over many years now and the way that you are so very engaged with Um, living astrologically, I've definitely come to note throughout my day and places I go um, and places I go in my consciousness, how it's relating to areas of my life. 
And I am a very cadent person. So a lot of that is typically in, you know, sort of daydreaming and imagining and um, a lot of walking through my neighborhood. And, but yeah, I, one thing I've really noted over the past maybe several months is how um, very actually longer than that is how so often when the moon is in my third, so in Scorpio, um, I really enjoy those transits and I find myself very often walking in my neighborhood with headphones on, usually with like some pretty angsty music playing, <laughs> pretty emotional music. And I love to walk through my neighborhood um, in Oakland, so like in the city and just sort of like be a flanier or like be a spectator, but also I'm there moving through the energy of that scene and um and listening to this music that has me in like a intense emotional cathartic state and crying <laughs> so i've noticed that's something that happens very often when i'm in um a scorpio a moon so that's so third house it's, um it's always going to be my third and i'm always in my neighborhood like walking around and crying <laughs> scorpio <laughs> wow I mean, so you're Virgo rising, I'm Pisces rising, but I just really appreciate it in this moment and realize that every transit we have is like opposite whole sign houses. Because my experience with the Scorpio moon is always a ninth house experience opposite the third. And um, yeah, just to be able like that we're collaborating on all the house topics and literally bringing these like opposite experiences or like two sides of the same coin. It's cool. Yeah, I like it. Um, something that has been moving for me with looking into the houses is just seeing how, um, they are terrestrial, like they are the part of the chart that is like located in earthly experiential spaces. Whereas the other things on the chart, like the planets or the Zodiac signs or the ecliptic are, you know, cosmic, they're in space, they're extraterrestrial. And so the houses are actually just like, where things root. Mm -hmm. And in my experience with astrology, the thing that interested me first, and I mean, this might be common, is like planets and signs. You know, first you, when you find out you have more than a sun (laughs) sign, you're like, oh, what's, what are all these planets doing? And that's still actually very atmospheric. Like it's in our personality, but there's a sense of like, you know, what is your, what's the energy of having a sun Jupiter aspect or something versus when you put it into the houses, it brings it into a specific location. Yeah. And makes it so much more personal. Right. And I think that for people getting deeper into understanding their house placements, it's like when you start to track the rulers of the houses and where they are, you get this kind of secret doorway energy Mm -hmm. where, you know, the seventh house, right? Depicting like relationships. Um, you look to the seventh house ruler for like a clue maybe on how you facilitate the increase or the fortune of your relationships based on that Oracle that's in the chart. And that might be some really random message. That's not like obvious of like, this is where you're going to go to feed your seventh house. Um, so I think it really opens up this like literal, dimension of the chart that's very unique to each person yeah totally I remember you mentioning like last week um the board game clue and these secret passageways and I really loved that because they are literal rooms like literal places 
um, and these secret passageways connect different rooms to one another. So yeah, the the ruler of a house connects two areas of life. Um, and yeah, there's just so much more dimension that can be brought in that way. It's really, um, yeah, like kind of like a more quantum experience of it. Totally. And so we've been um, mapping the houses like generally as an overview, and then we're going to go into like each house individually. Um, so there's these different categories of houses that um, people listening may or may not have heard of before, but just that the 12 houses are organized into three different categories of the angular, um, succeedant, and cadent. Cadent, obviously, that we're talking about today because we just were vibing so much on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to describe the angular and the succeedant and cadent before we get into just being all cadent. <laughs> um yeah, should I start? Do you want to take it away? Um, yeah, I can I can give like a really brief description. I'm in a very kind of cadent energy at the moment. So it's a little swimmy, um, but I'll do my best. Um, basically, like if we start with uh, the angular houses and um, that's determined by, you know, the ascendant is, determines the first house. If we moved around the chart in the circle, um, you know, counterclockwise, it would go from angular house to succeedant house to cadent house, angular, succeedant, cadent, all the way around. So there are these three types of place energy. Um, and then if we think of it, you know, in terms of the angular triads instead, so thinking about each angular house with a house on either side of it, on the left, you're gonna have a cadent house and on the right, a succeedant house. Um, and they have very different, they have very different energies. So the angular houses are very energetic. They're potent places of activity. And um, yeah, they're, they were called like the pivots, you know, the angles were called the pivots. And so they are these sort of pivotal places um, where things begin, you know, they're the inception points in houses. Um, so really activated and places of great power. And then you have the succeedant houses, which are the houses that are rising up by a primary motion into the angular houses to sort of take those places eventually, right? So they have that energy of climbing upward um, and they have like a certain kind of traction in that way. Um, and then you have the cadent houses, which are the houses that are falling away from the angular houses. So those have an energy of losing power or losing their ground, right? And I think Demetra describes them as like places of loose earth, of like, um, like climbing down loose earth. So you can think of it in that way that they're sort of they're they're kind of like crumbling and falling apart to reform again. That was such a beautiful description of everything. Yeah, so I'll just go back in with, um, you know, the angular houses as these pivot points, these places of power, um, that it's the first house, you know, representing us, the fourth house, like family roots, seventh house relationships, um, and then the 10th house, like career and public reputation. And so those houses are really... Um, 
obvious. They're really felt like planets and angular houses have that um, boost. Like they're just visible and felt and known in that way. Um, the succedent houses coming after it, you know, represent these other topics that are also quite powerful. Um, you know, like the second house relating to resources, um, self-esteem in the body, if we include like some EA evolutionary in it. Um, fifth house related to children and creations and pleasure and fun. Mm -hmm. And eighth house relating to shared finances, debt, um, a lot of like power stuff, if we include the evolutionary side mm -hmm. of it. Um, and then the 11th house, like groups, communities, networks, um, ideals, and aspirations. So also powerful topics, but not necessarily as like apparent as like who we are, our family, our career, our relationships, like. Yeah, not the peaks of the action, but. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we get to the cadent, there is that loosening. So this quote um, from Demetra. Demetra George in her volume two of the um, her books on Hellenistic astrology. Um, but she's describing cadent houses, um, that the Greek term for cadent houses is ap apoklino, I don't know how to say that, which means to slope down, decline, or fall away. The cadent houses represent a fall from the peak and a decline of the dynamic power as one is on the way down from the heights. And the downward slope is slippery as it does not provide much stability or firm footing. These mm -hmm. houses were called, acrim I just, I don't know how to say it, <laughs> unprofitable or ineffective for taking care of business. Thus, planets in the cadent houses were thought to have less support or energy to bring forth their matters. Um, like the which, matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't sound immediately exciting in that way, but one of the terms that she also uses or brings in is this idea of the metacosmios and the liminal spaces and cadent houses, I feel like have that similar mapping actually to the um, cardinal fixed mutable uh, classification of the signs where something that has been fixed, like very solid in form is coming loose or coming undone. And there's actually a lot of places you know, where that's inconvenient for things to come undone. And then a lot of places where things coming undone is like the magic and the alchemy and the exploration and the journey. Um, so yeah. there's, there's a liminality to the cadent houses that is described in this schema as, you know, not the most like focused for business, mm -hmm. um, but maybe rich in other ways spiritually. Yeah, like as you're saying that, I'm remembering that one thing I was sort of thinking about in terms of the different uh, the different modes of these houses is that the you know if I think about like repotting a plant, you know, like if the the plant sprouts seeds, it grows, and eventually, so that could be like an angular kind of energy, and then eventually it gets root bound, right? Like all the all the roots grow so um, rooted and they're so tightly packed in there with the earth so tightly packed as well that there's not anything more that they can do. So you need to literally loosen the earth, make more room for the plant to grow. You have to pull it out of the pot and you have to put 
new soil or mix new soil with the old soil and then put the plant back in and it grows better. You know, so I think of the cadent houses that way, that sometimes what has been deeply packed down can't, um, there's no like inspirational energy there to like grow, right? So it needs some sort of churning, which is what the cadent houses do. They churn up the things that have like accreted and then they make room for something else, new action. I love that image. That's <laughs> so perfect for it. Yeah. And so these cadent houses, um, these areas of life that have that loose soil quality are the third, which relates to media and communications and like local neighborhood, going for walks, like talking with people, listening to podcasts, like just these kind of activities that actually um, maybe shake, shake up our minds or our day-to-day -day in a way where there's like a novelty um, element of it or information or synthesis that's happening. The sixth house um, related to health and routine. Um, yeah, so being in, inconvenienced at times with the sixth house of having mm -hmm. to account for health things or accidents, um, but also kind of like the um, maybe process of like your you know, routines when you wake up in the morning or go to bed or you're making an altar, cleaning the altar, like these things that are maintaining um, something and also relates to work and labor and cleaning and hygiene and all those kinds of things. Ninth house being travel, um, higher education. Uh, love the ninth house. <laughs> um, yeah, just it is so cadent when I think about my experiences traveling um, and how, yeah, very rich experience, lots of synchronicities, but also a lot of time that it takes on a daily basis to figure out travel, mm -hmm. um, bus tickets, um, yeah, food, shelter, like it's not the most conducive for like producing in a stable way. Uh, and then 12th house, really interesting house <laughs> about these places like away from the world um prison mental asylums spiritual retreats uh places we go you know in fantasy or in grief like just these places where we're more secluded or solitary um clandestine activities yeah <laughs> yeah people's clandestine romances right it's not <laughs> it's not an angular romance <laughs> it's not like a marriage contract it's not someone you are out with in public it's like your secret secret mm -hmm. affair in the 12th house yeah and the, <laughs> the emotional <laughs> complexities and sufferings of that yeah <laughs> um anything you want to add about those four houses yeah I think of the third house primarily when I think of the third house I think about the association of it being just the local environment that's that's primarily my association with it. It's just like, what's popping up in the place I am in? Like I'm walking around in my neighborhood or I'm, you know, like going somewhere close by in my car or- Yeah, um, it has sitcom energy. Yeah. Yeah, like when you're like friends, you know, and just like someone popping in the room who's like your neighbor, <laughs> your friend, who's local. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually have a lot of that. I mean, I have- um, big third house energy and yeah I have a lot of friends who are neighbors who do just sort of pop in or we make plans on the fly um, and yeah and I'm, I'm really deeply 
um, attracted to neighborhood, you know, uh, but just even in a more sort of um, more localized way of just like, you know, the fourth house is your home, but the third house might be like the podcasts that come in, the radio station that you're listening to, the media that comes in there, the phone calls that come in, um, but just to a mood, you know, like the mood of the environment around you. Uh, the sixth house, I like to also think about, you know, like the more modern associations of, um, yeah, like the work of like this crafting energy of like getting really good at something. Um, and that's something that with my moon in the sixth house, I feel really connected to um, mentorship, that kind of a thing, um, which I've heard modern astrologers attribute to the sixth. Uh, definitely this feeling of the overlap that um, I guess, you know, some astrologers make with that 12 letter alphabet of Virgo to the sixth, perhaps because I am a Virgo rising, I can feel in that house particularly. Yeah. Uh, It'd be a good moment to mention too, that the work we're doing with the houses, we're like blending and synthesizing okay. a lot of the Hellenistic and evolutionary where in Hellenistic astrology, this the houses are not associated with signs. In evolutionary astrology, like Aries, first house, Taurus, second house, like there are these associations. But it's interesting because even if you follow the Hellenistic logic of the houses, you know, you'll still find very similar archetypal mappings um, right. looking exactly. into the houses from both perspectives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's been fun to do with you because um, I definitely feel affinities with. Yeah, I think it reflects both of our practices too as being like rooted in, well, I can speak for myself of being like rooted in evolutionary astrology, but studying and incorporating Hellenistic the last few years. Mm -hmm. Well, um, those are my roots too because my roots yeah. are <laughs> <laughs> yeah. initially. So yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, the sixth house, I, um, certainly I think of the setbacks as a, as a huge, um, uh, huge expression of the sixth house with my moon there. I'm very familiar <laughs> with, with the feeling of things coming in and interrupting my progress throughout the day in my, um, routine, um, which to me is not, it doesn't feel like a great thing when those things are happening, but over time, those um, getting used to those kinds of interruptions can make you more adept at something. Um, so yeah, and the ninth house, um, yeah, I have Jupiter in the ninth house, so I feel like I'm I'm very uh, ninth housey. I I'm definitely very transfixed by philosophy and higher education, um, and yeah, I mean, of course, I would love to be traveling more, and I've always enjoyed traveling. It's been extremely edifying for me, um, which I think is, you know, like a beautiful thing about the ninth house is that we have this idea of God and, um, you know, of kind of spirituality and education, but also with travel. So my trips that I've taken, I think, are, you know, moments in my life where I've learned a lot packed into a very small period of time. And they've changed me and changed my ideas about life. Yeah, I should have mentioned higher perspectives and like belief systems and whatnot is a huge part of the ninth house. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then um, 12. Yeah, I guess I was thinking a lot about this idea of the flanier, um, like of the wanderer loafer, um, you know, who's sort of just like aimlessly walking somewhere and taking in the sights, thinking about how the third is the sort of local neighborhood flanier and the 12th is sort of like the cosmic the cos yeah <laughs> oh yeah in all of the sort of mystifying energy of the everything that is um yeah really overwhelming experience potentially um mm -hmm. yeah because it's like this difference between the first house where we feel really empowered to like choose our direction oftentimes Whereas the 12th house, we're kind of pulled away from that sense of control of direction. It makes me think of like, like the image of like finding Nemo came to mind, yeah. right? this like fish that gets lost, you know, just any of those, yeah, deeper senses of being on like a long journey where you've lost control and you're just like tumbling in the, the cosmic yeah. washing machine. And yeah. Yeah, how that's opposite the sixth house. And you mentioned these like interruptions. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking, um, you know, the last few days about interruptions, like within this ice storm, um, a friend dropped off his cats for me mm -hmm. to take care of. Um, I was not able to get my cat and those cats to get along. So I would, I tried a few times, but I was like keeping them in separate rooms and having them have turns of the apartment. Mm -hmm. And you know, because of that um, logistical thing of not all the cats getting along, like it was an interruption to my schedule. Like there was like this sixth housey, you know, thing about it that I kept feeling into like, well, what's this spiritual, like, this is also a spiritual experience that I'm like taking care of these two cats and I'm like trying to make them happy, but they're stay here. But, you know, it's, there's another cat, there's territorial issues. So I just kept thinking about, I mean, maybe that's what spurred it, but I was thinking about when things don't go to plan, when there's some kind of interruption of plan, like what is the assignment or what's the journey or what's the thing that's, you know, and that's kind of like that inconvenient or interruption kind of quality mm -hmm. of the sixth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For me, I experienced the sixth and the 12th house um, in this way where the sixth house does feel really time bound because um, you're always aware of the time. Like I don't have enough time. I'm trying to get this accomplished. And the 12th house is like the most liminal and least time bound space of the chart. Um, but for me, I definitely like have a lot of feeling of associating my long experience of training in biodynamic craniosacral therapy with this sort of sixth, 12th energy of um, going to classes and we have like a set schedule, but what we're doing within that set schedule is we are basically stopping time. Like we are engaging in these practices that open up this sort of quantum space, this portal where everything feels completely timeless. And it's almost as though, you know, you, you enter this zone within this structured day, you enter this zone where when you come back from that zone, it's like you have been to another planet or you have spent years with someone's head in your hands. Uh, it, it really is 
completely out of your control, but it's this like really lovely experience. And then you just go right back into the next thing in your day, <laughs> in your schedule, um, go to lunch and come back to, you know, engage in class time again. Um, and that seems like uh, in some ways, like really those two things are really at odds with each other, but the sixth and the 12th are, you know, opposite one another. And to me, that feels really like a sixth house, 12th house experience. Yeah. And I hear this, like we were reflecting in conversations before about how we have fixed signs mm -hmm. on the, on our cadent houses. And mm -hmm. so that kind of workflow day where you go into trance with a person and you like have several of those lined up, like I really relate to that kind of experience of just this endurance or this stamina of the fixed signs to keep going into trance states and like collecting <laughs> those throughout the day and like being in the montage scene basically in life. Um, which kind of brings me to something that I'm thinking about is like, what is the particular power of the cadent houses? You know, if they do have this trickiness and the, like the loose soil. So sometimes there's a sense of you know, things crumbling or things falling away, like where is that in connection to power? And I'm thinking about that in like this context of ceremony is one of the associations of the third house. Um, mm -hmm. And part of like going into ceremony is to create transformation or change. Like you're marking a moment, but you're also creating like a fluid alchemical space where things can change like you're maybe helping something that has been stuck like open or you're helping open a possibility or something like that. And mm -hmm. I also think about my Pluto being in the ninth house in a cadent house and just how, um, I mean, part of my desire nature, when I think about like a good, a good day or a good week, there's like a lot of packed, like juicy, magical experiences from one to the next, like being in a tumbler of like, magic like definitely that's a space um that I envision but there's also been something about loss for me with the ninth house Pluto of like how I come back from difficult experiences or things that just feel really devastating in some way is that you know I end up writing about it processing it going into ceremony about it multiple times talking to multiple like wise people about it like and just going through this tumbler of experiences to process, but even also just having new experiences um, and that sense of having to shake up my attachment. Mm -hmm. um, I'll use a metaphor of like when you, you know, are going through a breakup and you envisioned this whole life with a person um, and you have that whole stream, that whole fixed stream in a sense of the vision, like the ideals of the 11th house, even the romance, the fifth. Um, what it's like to start building new experiences and memories and plans and whatnot to just like, go take a class, like go travel somewhere, go, um, go out, meet new people, like have new local area experiences, third house. And, um, that essentially those kinds of activities, even though I've resisted them at times when I've really wanted to hold on to the fixed vision that I had it's actually just tumbling through loosening up my attachment, loosening up my habits, um, yeah. creating new habits that has helped me learn so much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not even just that it helped me heal or feel better, but when I look back, 
it's like, oh, wow. I had like hundreds of conversations. I had hundreds of experiences. Like I was just in a field basically for a while. Definitely think of them, the cadent houses as these sort of field state places. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. I think about like how I looked up you know, the definition for cadent, and I was thinking about cadence and how that comes from cadent, or they come from the same root, and how cadence is about a rhythm, like a musical rhythm, um, that is more free verse, and so I'm thinking about, like, riffing, about jazz, about improv, about, you know, the, the unstructured structure, so, um, And I'm trying to remember there was something I read and I think the idea was from Robert Schmidt, but it was someone else writing this blog. I I can't remember her name at the moment, but she talked about how the cadent houses destroy the house. (laughs) They come out and build a bridge to the next one. Um, So yeah, there's like this energy of like, you have to just really be on your feet uh, and you have to adjust like really quickly. So when I think about, you know, climbing upward, up a hill, and the the sort of steady motion that usually entails, um, and then climbing down a hill, which like Demetrius said, is like the loose earth. When we're climbing down and the earth is loose, like I think about when I'm taking a hike with my dog and my boyfriend, and it's muddy or something, and we're going downhill, you often have to sort of like, hop run at periods like you can't just steadily move down or you'll fall you have to sometimes sort of run for a few steps to get down an area that's just in the midst of a lot of change um to its structure and I and I think about that and I think about how that's related to cadence that is this like free verse um riff improv kind of energy That's beautiful. Yeah, that was giving me like images and memories of hikes too. And just the feeling of um, the second half of the hike back versus Mm -hmm. the hike to the destination point. You know, if it's one of those hikes where there's like, I mean, even if it's a loop, you still know when you're like winding back. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like the different quality of that, like the cadent houses are really helping to undo something, um, which is really only like, it's frustrating in the places where we're trying to do something and we feel like we keep keep getting undone. Um, But having to like, think about it in this way has just been having me think about what, how do cadent, how like placements, express themselves in a way that achieves that kind of cadency in a more enjoyable or like resonant way for Mm -hmm. the native. Um, Yeah, there's a few places I could go with that. (laughs) Well, I'll just add that I think, I think of like going upward towards a peak or towards some sort of scenic view as there's the energy is really like you're consciously focused on that point. You're really like thinking into the future toward a goal, toward a place you're getting to. But when you come back down from having been there, there's a real kind of, well, I'll just speak for myself, but 
there's a real unconscious process. I'm like reviewing. I'm, I don't have to think so much about where I'm going. So I'm more in an internal experience and the cadent houses are quite like that. I think because they're the places where we don't have a lot of power in the outside world, but we are very open to being affected by outside forces. So we're having these very like in internal consciousness experiences, um, maybe subconscious or unconscious experiences um, affected by whatever has just happened or whatever is going on around us. But we can't really do much about it except sort of like take that in and synthesize it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, there's something around, like I was thinking about bees and pollination as a cadent thing, as like a very third housey thing, especially if we think about the Gemini association to the third house in modern or evolutionary. So you have like, uh, Gemini is very like pollinates, you know, it's like busy and all these different kinds of conversations and then synthesizing them. I think about Gemini people and sometimes how they struggle with feeling like they have to do one thing or focus and how like it's easy for Gemini's to just have like magical, interesting novel experiences, but like consolidating it into a work is something that, you know, maybe another part of their chart helps them with, or it's a struggle. Um, but that like bees are so busy working, like it's a very sixth house, you know, yeah. they're, they're workers. Um, they're collecting pollen from all these flowers and then with all of those experiences, many experiences, many flowers, they make a little bit of honey like this, you know? Um, so there's like a distillation process. Yeah. And sometimes when I have sought to achieve something, like I, I love to learn how to, you know, work smarter, not harder, whatever, you know, like that's great <laughs> to like figure those things out. But I have had processes where um, if I let myself be in the montage scene, I let myself be immersed in tons of conversations um, that things accumulate in this kind of magical way. Like I think about all the forecasts that I've written over the years and how it's like a very impermanent form of writing. Like it's a certain amount of labor to write something that has you know, I think my forecasts, you can look back at them or read them or listen to them even out of time. And I still feel like there's, there's gems in there, but I don't expect a lot of people to actually go do that because, you know, people have to be experimental or open and they're thinking and be told that, like, I don't know. It's just, you listen to the weekly forecast, you get a sense of the week. So mm -hmm. it's that sense of like, it's just, 12th house is just like loss. It's just like that energy is just going away somewhere. I could look at it that way. But on the other hand, it's like all those experiences that opened up of like tuning in so much to the meditation of the current moment in time and just letting mm -hmm. it pass and fall away and doing that again and again. And like what yeah. was left from that was like the things that I gained from that practice um, but also just the atmospheric quality to my life that that conditioned or that conditioned in the field around me or that like the chance meetings or people sharing the forecast with other people and the pollination that happened from that. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
having these cadent positions in my chart just kind of helped me reconcile with like parts of my process that maybe have a diffuse quality to them. Mm-hmm. And that that's like, okay, like part yeah, of sometimes, yeah. you know, I arrive at insights because I just had a lot of conversations in one day, like there's mm-hmm. usually a unique curriculum. Like if I talk with several different people in a day or a span of days, like the distillation pollination process of that, like there's something I can sense. And it's like, so what if it took me 12 hours to like notice that theme? It was enjoyable. I was in trance. Like it was a thing, you know, it was a field experience. Yeah. It's immersive. Yeah. 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 And I think you and I really love those kinds of experiences. Like we have a real comfort level with that. We trust it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, some people might trust it more or less. I think you and I tend to trust it pretty deeply, uh, these immersive states that something will come out of it, but it's not like it's a visible thing in sight, right? So you have perhaps at the end of all of that writing, you, you've had a very 10th house experience of coming into your own and you have this vocation you're engaged with, but in the moment of writing that you were much more just focused on the writing you were doing in that moment and yeah bees are like the sort of like Geminian Virgoan or third or third and sixth type of energy where you know if bees are busy doing their work of pollinating flowers maybe they don't know which flowers are going to bloom maybe they do I have no idea actually I don't know about how bees <laughs> work maybe they know more than I think they do but um I guess my my assumption would be that they don't necessarily know if whether what they're pollinating right now is going to bloom or how it's going to bloom, they're just so engaged with the busyness, the going back and forth, the like engaging with the craft, (laughs) that's their craft, you know, it's pollinating. Um, Yeah. And that, you know, in and of itself, that's just like really satisfying and um, it doesn't need anything more than that. That is like, that's living, but it's not the kind of living that's hierarchical or like, you know, moving into some kind of strong position in a way where you're really like gearing toward it you're just in life you're in that you're in that montage scene where things are overlapping different experiences and conscious states overlapping maybe it's like a venn diagram kind of space you know where you're you're sort of melding these two houses or you're melting them um yeah and we need we need these spaces where we are not affecting the world so strongly because not everything we do is about having an effect on the outer world. Sometimes we need space to engage with our feeling states, um, a vibe around us, you know, move through spaces with just more curiosity and openness to being changed, um, being affected than affecting. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. How else do you feel that like these themes show up in your like direct experience? I was thinking about, you know, like what are some more literal kinds of um, place energy (laughs) with the cadent houses and they're always going to be a little overlappy. But one thing I was thinking about just with the ninth house, I'll go there, is um, I was thinking about, I think because I was thinking about 
cadence and the definition and cadence. I was thinking about when I was in college, so ninth house higher education experience. And when you're in college, often many people have the experience when they're in college that they're on a campus and in between classes, they have maybe some free time to wander um, or just like be with other students, you know? Um, but I often in one semester of my time at Mills College, which was a pretty great, it had a pretty great music program. I would find myself outside this one portable building um, where the gamelan musicians would be playing. And gamelan is this like really beautiful, very spiritual music. Um, and it is very rhythmic. Um, but I would find myself outside of the gamelan um, like classroom, just listening to it. And um, I just like, felt so connected to the idea of where I was like, oh, I'm in college. <laughs> this is like, this is such a nice, um, special experience that I'm having being here at this college and um, listening to that music, which I have a Taurus ninth house um, and Jupiter is there. I was having like a really big experience of sort of understanding my path through the world, you know, like where I was on that path in this particular space and time when I was at, at college. Um, and it was like very deeply pleasurable. I wasn't doing a thing. I was just picking up the information around me and I was having a kind of like um, widened perspective, widened experience. Um, so that's one thing that I think about is that particular experience. Yeah, the mapping in that, it sounds like, like you were having this like altered state and then saw where you were on the map. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Think of like the third and ninth house as like the third house really directly being about mapping, but the ninth house also being like the meanings and like the, the you know, yeah. the map and the territory kind of thing and how the mapping can happen in the moment along, you know, it, those houses see the first house. They make right. aspects to the first so you can be like aware of the map and playing on the map. But often we go to the map in like reflection in like away from activity to think and reflect and like regather ourselves and decide where we're going to go next. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely felt like that. And of course, you know, if you are on a college campus, that is your local that's your locale for the time being, where you're having these opening experiences, you know, like where you're being taught. Um, yeah, where your mind is really like expanding. I also think I was telling you, this feels like a very sort of um, fixed cadent energy. Um, but I've had these really big experiences with like going to installations, like going to experience installation art. And I know that the installation itself is not particularly <laughs> cadent, <laughs> but the energy that is, the energy that comes to life when you are moving through something that has been like imaginatively constructed for you. Um, I've had like some really extremely thoughtful um internal experiences with that 
I think about like this one, I just think about how for me, the cadent houses have a lot to do with this sort of like mood lighting of the life experience. And those are moments where I got to engage with that um, in a way where I was trying to do something, but what I was trying to do was not like get somewhere. It was to, you know, like be inside a state and experience it. So I remember going to this one installation at the SF MoMA. It was Olafur Eliasson. And he had created this one room and it was like a, there was like a circular screen around the room and everyone would walk in and stand against the screen and it would very slowly and slightly change color. So it was this like real transitional kind of space that we were in. And as it would change color, everyone would have the same emotional reaction to it at once. Like everyone would start to laugh at once or everyone would go like, sigh at once and um it felt like really like letting go and letting myself or oneself engage with that openness of letting the outside just like really come in and affect you me um yeah so I think about that I think about like going through the world as though inside the energy of a particular sort of installation and it's the energy I'm talking about rather than the structure yeah yeah, your insight about the necessity or the value in being affected as opposed to being the effector is really interesting because the angular houses would be more of that, like I'm affecting or like I'm the captain of the ship and the destiny and how actually like that is maybe part of the issue of like Western society in a lot of ways is this like upward progress, like ideal that involves a lot of like constant momentum up and like constant production. And that the cadent houses would be those experiences of like going on, you know, a shamanic medicine journey and like grieving mm -hmm. or like seeing mm -hmm. patterns and stuff so that you can return to the kind of world of affecting things with that um, perspective that has shifted. Um, and just in a sense that I feel like a lot of, um, there's a shamanic magical element to the cadent houses. And I have been thinking about this metaphor for various reasons, like the last week of like a house that, you know, the manicured, like the bug spray or something, and just the offense of having, you know, a bug infestation or having like critters yeah. appear in the house, like just that desire for things to be kind of going in a direction that we want it to. And the way that like the magical realm kind of interrupts or is a trickster inside of, you know, so I, but just the way that you put it about like the difference between being one who's affecting versus being affected, it feels like there's something there about reciprocity with like land, earth, like being able to actually take those moments to have those like ego deaths or like dissolutions to be able to participate in a way that's more like harmonious actually, as opposed to just asserting and having the power to assert an agenda. Yeah, I think there is a lot of like reflective energy in the cadent houses. Yeah. I mean, I will just say that I'm in a 12th house year right now. And um, the last 12th house year I was in was like a, a really mystical year for me of 
I, I was having a, an extraordinarily depressive experience. I was finishing school. That was ending, right? I had an ending happening that year. But I was also having, well, I was having a big drug experience. I was, um, that was negative for me. And I was, um, I was having like a, just a really, really like down, depressed, pessimistic experience. And I had like a really kind of amazing synchronistic opening that year it really sort of turned my my consciousness in a new direction this year the first thing that happened I mean the first thing that happened this year that I could note was about a, a week after my birthday um, my solar return and we got bed bugs I've had bed bugs before and I did not handle it well at all this time it was a pretty different experience. I mean, it was still, I have a big phobia of them and it's very, they are a very 12th house kind of problem to have because they're hidden, you can't see them. Um, and they're completely out of control and make you feel out of control. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm lucky that I think we've moved through that experience, you know, and it took some months, but, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who have had bed bugs and I know a lot of people who've been through very cataclysmic kinds of experiences that are really much worse than, than that, or, you know, I would say, but I didn't handle this experience well the last time it happened. And in this particular year, I've been able to move through that experience that really shakes me up and like, you know, tosses me into the sea <laughs> emotionally and, um, yeah, like uh, I constantly unconsciously thinking of it in the back of my head, very 12. And like, just accept that that was what was happening and deal with it in a new way. And that was a really, that was an important experience. Like I wouldn't want to have them again. Like it's been twice, I don't want to have them again. But it was an important experience because having to, release my control and I'm a very tightly wound person in a lot of ways being able to release that control and let life really like wash me out to sea in a certain kind of way and go with it um you know coming out the other end of that I just I feel better about that happening if it happened again I don't want it to happen again but it's not as, uh, it doesn't take me over the thought of it in the same way that it used to. And so that's a very like cadent 12th house experience. Yeah. And I hear like the fixed cadent houses too, of just finding your resolve and endurance and capacity and power inside of mm -hmm. the kind of paradoxical experience of like losing control. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's kind of what it's all about in some sense too, is like actually just being able to have life move through us and to be able to respond and be with it as opposed to contracting, clamping down all of that. Um, yeah, because it's so important to have motivation and to feel like you can affect things in your life um, and feel inspired and have a drive, you know, or many drives. And it's also important to be able to make that consistent and like build upon that and move towards something in a long lasting way. But it is also very important to connect the mystery of being alive, which is 
not all about what we do and not all about what we want. It's sometimes about being shown we could want something else by having to have a kind of experience that we wouldn't have asked for, which I think is the kind of thing that comes, well, it comes in different places, the eighth house too, you know, but it comes in, it comes in a lot in the sixth and twelfth for sure. Yeah. And I find it really interesting in that way that like, you know, the lights find their joy in the cadent houses, but also both malefics find their joy in the cadent houses in the sixth and twelfth. But the lights do too, right? So like the lights and the malefics, it's it's that very mixed bag. And yeah, the moon's joy in the third, sun's joy in the ninth, Mars joy in the sixth, and Saturn's in the twelfth. Yeah, no, it, it kind of makes me think of like the a turning of the wheel of fortune or something like that. And just like these different changes and how they might be great and might be bad, like subjectively speaking, moment to moment. And that kind of mix, you know, and at least like when I was, when I was younger, I really, there was so much more at certain points that I like wanted in life. Like I had this, like, I was like so excited to like explore the world through college, like very ninth housey, you know, like the freedom of that. And I found out pretty early on in life that I could change my mood by writing. And I have moon and Taurus in the third. So I could like, you know, in some sense, not even just self-soothe through writing, but actually enter a portal of a changed experience um, and be in an altered state because of my perception. Like I would just, you know, yeah. I would write romantically and then have these, not only did my perception change, but then the world around me changed almost, you know, really participating with my perception. Like you increase synchronicity when you read symbols or when you look for it, or when you start writing down your dreams or like, there's actually like a conversation that opens up. And, um, I forget why I brought that up, but there was something. The mystery. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, there was some connection I meant to make, but I lost it. Um, I was thinking too earlier at the very beginning, you mentioned the clandestine. Mm -hmm. And that's been lighting something up for me a lot because um the I've often thought about like these secret romances, you know, they create suffering in some way, but people have I think the pull to choose them because there's something um something else that they want to experience in life that is not part of like the main above water like everyday normal life kind of thing right it's like a yeah. way yeah it's like things that are not romantic clandestine experiences too right like yeah I mean like spies are clandestine creatures right like they're moving under cover of night. <laughs> um, and, you know, however we want to think about that, people do romanticize those kinds of... Um, yeah, and spies are there in some sense to undermine order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Undermine mm -hmm. order of the enemy, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just a way where it's like operating in the, the liminal and the cracks of the world uh, when you get into the clandestine and... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, but there's a way that like, 
I don't know, like my mind is kind of categorizing it and kind of like the healthful, enjoyable, like functional ways of doing that versus where people are actually in some kind of addiction cycle in love addiction and fantasy in these kind of, you know, in even in an addiction to lying, right. And creating these alternate lives or pathways. Alternate lives. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like my favorite, favorite author, like Anais Nin, she <laughs> like, she had double lives. She lied a lot. And she did that she could have these experiences that she wasn't, you know, if she was in this day, um, I don't remember like when she died, maybe in the seventies or something like that, but I feel like she could have just been polyamorous if she was like a young woman now, you know, but she like, I don't think that was an option. So she just had like a, she had like two partners who lived on like different sides of the country, I think. And like would yeah, had this double life where she was going back and forth and it greatly like enriched, I think her life experience and her writing and whatnot, but it wasn't an angular house kind of life and doing that. It was very limited yeah. between. Not back in, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Liminality is just like, yeah. Liminality is something we, I think both of us find really satisfying. Um, And I know that like one thing I always really resist, like that I come up against as, you know, a person in the world trying to have any kind of a career or like anyone, you know, trying to have a career. If you are a person who feels really liminal, there's a resistance to like having that fixed identity, the identity of like a first or a 10th house, um, because you want the freedom to move around and like take on different identities at, you know, your whim. Um, so yeah, there is this sort of like resistance to closure, resistance to, um, like foundation, closure, walls, um, anything that sort of like hems you inside of it. I was thinking too about, um, how these, like, um, these experiences that we have in life that are out of our control, either ones that we didn't ask for or that we, you know, like are co-conspirators with in some way, like, like deciding to have an affair quote, you know, something that we aren't supposed to do, some kind of like uh, experience that we know is going to shake us up, but we're looking to have it. Um, They often result in us feeling in some way, like something broke open in us. And now we kind of want to help others not go there or go there and like use those, those places, states of transition to learn about themselves or be helped and um, get to some other kind of way of engaging with reality. So that, you know, that their service houses, the sixth and the twelfth, and I think about that too. How having experiences that are sort of off the track of the life we're trying to build um, help us to like want to engage with helping other people like see life differently, like take in a more glancing view. Totally, of yeah, yeah. I mean, I think being in a having that knowledge or wisdom from direct experience, having the information like those third, ninth access and then the vocation the service of the sixth house drawing upon that Mm -hmm. Um, and even just that 
you know, I love like being an astrologer as a vocation. It's like, I'm always in the field of that kind of information Mm -hmm. and I'm really resourced to like offer that. And my experience keeps resourcing me because I've stationed myself there. But I think about like an esthetician who like has all this knowledge about skincare. That's like specialized knowledge that I have to like go to the esthetician to like be in that Mm -hmm. field, you know? And it's just like, whatever you choose to, whatever service you station yourself in, the universe is going to send you like Mm -hmm. agents and resources and like synchronicity fields to, to feed that place that you're stationed in. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like a power of the cadent houses too. And you have to, you have to be able to take in new information in your field too, and like be changed by that. And that's a really inconvenient when your identity gets focused on what you know. And like the, you know, if you get really obsessed with like a particular worldview, but you get new information that starts to chip away that worldview. Or you, you know, want to just keep working at it and never getting there. Like the sixth house is like so much about perfecting something, you know, like getting it to yeah. the perfect, perfect routine or the perfect craft and yeah. not wanting to leave that space of still perfecting still. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, even to your point too, about being like a person in the world in a more angular way, like the messaging of it being broad or expansive or free enough to be able to move around and change, I think Mm -hmm. is needed for those cadent experiences or else things start to get stale and you, you have to keep rebranding and, and all of that. And rebrands are necessary, I think at times too, but But maybe uh, not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing I like, I just, that has been coming to mind is drug experiences right? As like a very like altered state kind of thing. But I'm thinking about them, you know, because of the some experiences I had in Peru, where I noticed that like, the, like psychedelic medicines there are not illegal, you can Mm -hmm. be a professional shaman in Peru. Um, You know, I, and it's not against the law, it's not against human law. I'm sure there's other natural laws that like engage, you know, who actually ends up doing that and being successful at it and whatnot. But in the States, for example, people that want to seek those kind of experiences, the the places that you go for it are different. Now, like marijuana is legal and whatnot. But sometimes I think about people that you know, some people do have drug problems. They're like not able to integrate in society. And then there's also people that are high and you would have no idea because they're actually like in a state, they're in a kind of plant medicine or whatever journey, but they're interfacing with society. Um, I definitely had my share of that. Like I loved being high in high school and like being in school and I would have the most profound, trippy, magical experiences. And it was like this fun Like it really opened me in a lot of ways, but I was also doing something that like, I couldn't just reveal what I was doing without consequences, like getting expelled or, so it was clandestine. Um, But yeah, sometimes I think about that just like culturally in terms of a culture's relationship with substances and where that then has you. Because even if you do legal psychedelic substances with a shaman you're still away from the world you're still like in the portal of the ceremony 
Um, but yeah, for some reason, I've been just thinking about this lately. Um, like, especially if I talk to people and like learn that that was part of their experience at some point in life that they, you know, were like secretly high or like whatnot. Um, it's like, there's a way that culture views that, but I'm like, but what's going on in like a cadent kind of way. I know that's a little bit of like a far out ish idea, but I I actually, I think that's really interesting. I think about like, yeah, in my own history, I have pretty, a pretty extensive experience of using drugs to escape. So very 12th house kind of drug use. Um, I also have ninth house kind of drug use experiences of like intentionally wanting to open to something, but I also, I have a lot of experience with the escapist route there. And I also think of what you're talking about in terms, I guess, of the cadent houses in some sort of like harm reduction model, because I think of the cadent houses as tweaky, like not tweaky as in (laughs) (laughs) places where we, where we alter, where we like, like I was saying before, like when you're running, when you're going down a hill and the earth is loose, sometimes you have to run. Sometimes you walk steady. You have to be like making adjustments in order to I had like a life-changing experience being high when I was 19 and like hanging out with my cat, like my childhood. (laughs) And I like saw and encountered this whole other dimension of him that I didn't know existed all those years. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was like a peak magical experience. And it showed me that there was like this part of the universe that I was not even receptive to. Like Mm -hmm. it was important feeling. I like, (laughs) so I just think there's something about, um, you know, maybe it's like a sixth house, twelfth house intersection, I guess, of these altered states is where they become uh, a portal of suffering, where they're dysfunctional versus when they actually create healing unravelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yeah. is a slippery. It is a slippery, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And then to bring in the other two cadent houses, you know, the third and the ninth are, they have less difficult associations, but in all those places, there's a loss of control. And then there are ways in which we can not gain total control over those spaces of life, but we can, you know, in the third, we have ritual and um, we have way, and in the ninth, we have philosophy, we have ways of perceiving or acting to, not take over, but engage in a way where we feel not taken over, you know, by, by life, or maybe in the sixth and the 12th, there is a lot more obvious um, energy around this feeling of being out of control and taken over. But they're all spaces where, yeah, we're just like moving with life, and we're in a flow state. um, And sometimes that flow state can turn into like (laughs) a tidal wave or something. But um, I think in all of those places, we can find ways to, you know, like in some way, harness ourselves to the energy so that we're not just like, you know, randomly getting smacked this way and that, but maybe we're being pulled along by something else, but maybe it's got a little bit more control. Yeah, it's making me think about prayer and intention as like part of the magical 
Mm -hmm. quality of the cadent houses where I think like prayer is not a sense of control. Mm -hmm. Like you can pray for what you want and whatnot, but like prayers don't allow you to control events. But what it does, I think, is like create a conversation where it's possible that things will change or that there will be support. Um, And I think, yeah, when it comes to navigating difficult experiences or things that we want to change, like actually creating those kind of mystical conversations where we invite being affected or like we invite that collaboration with the universe as a way to meet that halfway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, do you feel like there's anything else that. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking about how, in terms of thinking of the houses or the places, um, as like places (laughs) as zones, like territorial zones, I was thinking about how, you know, I have a sixth house moon. I work at home, you know, like the moon home, my workday, my daily routine, it's at home. Um, And it's ruled by Saturn in the 12th house, which is this sort of like, you know, other place, (laughs) right, of accessing like all of the numinous energy in my work is about that. Um, Or, you know, how my ninth house is, my ninth house Jupiter is ruled by Venus in the 11th house and my communities and the friendships that I have inside those communities like really open me to new consciousness new ideas um but big ideas you know and different ideas of the paths to take in life um yeah uh and then like a first house Mars ruling a third house Scorpio um I feel like Mars and Virgo my my drive to sort of like, uh, I don't know, like refine the information drives me into going to seek out information. I'm constantly like walking down the street in my neighborhood and being inspired when I'm like stuck, you know, I'm getting new information by going out, seeking out um, the scene around me and something popping up in there that like gives me more potent energy to like express language, to write, to speak to people and communicate something. So yeah, just thinking about these sort of overlaps and um, yeah, just the different placements, different rulers, and that's all really fun and juicy too. Mm. I mean, there's so much more. Yeah, it's been fun to reflect more on cadent energy and feel like the places where it's adding a lot of like richness, not even just the spiritual richness, but even like daily life, even like helping affairs of say business, you know, because I realize I spend um, a lot of time in trance, like every day I'm in trance, like multiple times a day by myself, just like in some kind of meditation or flow state or Akashic records, something creation state, but then also with clients, mm-hmm. I mean, they're in conversation, like, which is a third housey kind of thing where we go into these moments of like some kind of experiential channeling embodiment space that will spontaneously emerge. That's been like a newer part of my work in the last like more recently, because it reflects 
how I process information and how I've been working with it for years too, where it's like, sometimes there's an activation and we can go into the body with it, or we can bring in the Akashic records. And, and so for you, it's like you so much about like how you use that in teaching too, which is obviously like third, ninth axis as well. And yeah. And it, I think what it does, like, it feels very process oriented to me where the things that we are seeking in this life, like generally, like if we follow our intuition and we know who we are and we're like on our path, like life is just guiding us all the time in the direction that our, you know, our heart, like our deeper desire often just actually wants to go. And there's all these little, um, interruptions to that based on our ego consciousness or things that we've kind of picked up from culture, just like stuck things that are happening. And so if we just loosen um, an idea or loosen an energetic block in the body, like these are all just like subtle adjustments, then it's easier for the process to just unfold. Yeah. I mean, I think loosening really is such a good word for these houses, untying, you know, um, dissolving, Right. And it kind of circles back to the whole, like, it was like this idea that planets and cadent houses, and there's a different way to interpret that because it's the planet's agenda, right? Mm -hmm. So that's its own thing. But I've been just sitting with like, well, are cadent houses, like, how do they show up and work and like furthering Mm -hmm. an agenda or something like that? And it's like, what if the agenda is to loosen something, then it is doing it you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. It's doing it, but in a different kind of a way than we would typically have agendas or that we think of having agendas. Yeah. The agenda is no agenda. (laughs) The the loosening of the agenda, which is needed in, in rigid ego structures and longstanding dysfunctional patterns, or just like anything that's been causing suffering that's condensed and packed like loosening yeah. it or just like there's no more room like that beautiful metaphor you brought in of like the plant whose roots are now taking up the whole pot and you need to loosen the soil and add more space well and too when I think about you know my walks through the neighborhood during these Scorpio moons and crying I, that's exactly what I'm doing too I'm making room by releasing a feeling you know into the into the space around me to make room for some other feeling or other um, well, just like more conscious space for something else. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to be doing this project with you. We have so many magical things coming up. We have our first like class about the overview of the houses. These are like intermediate and advanced workshops, really, like for people that have a basic knowledge of the houses so far and want to dive deeper into the um really just opening them up as a place that you can walk inside and find like some gnosis for this moment you're in your life, like these patterns that show up in the chart. Um, and yeah, then we're going to be going through the houses coming up. So people listening, um, just sign up for the mailing list, um, to stay tuned about that. Um, we'll be posting about it on social also. And then for people that are just, um, well, really anyone here, like how can people find you? Connect your work <laughs> yeah, speaking of being in a 12th house here <laughs> um, and yeah, the the information 
of the third, I am just finishing my new website and I have a newsletter um, and I will be providing you with those links because they're still being, the tweaks are still being worked out with those, but we'll be ready soon. Um, the newsletter is amazing. I like, oh, thank you. yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, it's been really fun. That is like an area where I have some control and I do enjoy that to write and send out the newsletter. Um, yeah, but I will have my website up again soon and you can schedule with me. I have limited um, consultation appointments each month and you can sign up for my newsletter or you can sign up for these classes with me and Sabrina. Yeah, highly recommend. And I would love to see listeners at these um, workshops too. They're going to be really magical um, explorations of these themes and really like in the moment, you know, the connections are made, but there's this after effect and ripple effect too. Like sometimes even just knowing like where my like Lord of a house is, like I'll have a moment where it just really shows up. So there's something about the way it helps us see our lives as they're actually unfolding. Like you have the knowledge of the map, but you will be given the experience to, or be, be able to reflect on maybe how to minimize difficulties, you know, transform difficulties of the experience um, mm -hmm. by just getting a sense of what's happening on the map and how you can play with it. Um, I feel like that's what we're all doing with astrology is like trying to understand ourselves and also trying to mitigate some of the problems we have, creatively work with them, amplify our talents and gifts, right? And this is like a, a mapping tool for doing that in like, where is this happening? Not just like the energies, but like literally where are they planted in your life? Um, and it's surprising sometimes. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah, reflection helps us connect to meaning. So it's always helpful to reflect on these things. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aliza. Thank you, Sabrina, as usual. <laughs>